Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, this here uh, episode of the Meat Eater Digital Radio Program is dedicated to answering many of the most befuddling questions that come in from listeners and viewers like you who take time to write in and ask a question. Now, we get questions, we get a great array of questions. Some people have technical questions. People be like, hey, you know, what's up? I got a, you know, I'm shooting, I got a 168 grain bullet loaded at 3,000 FPS. And, you know, and some people be like, don't you think that the Clintons introduced wolves to the West as a way of disarming the American population because they knew that the wolves would kill all the animals and there wouldn't be any reason to hunt anymore and so no one would have guns and that was the plan. So that, those, those kind of questions. Totally plausible. Of course um, they did. Yeah, but in an array, you know what I'm saying, I'm just trying to say there's a wide array of uh, Another, array another of good example would be the one that we got the other day about uh, my height. Yeah. How tall are you? Six feet, two inches. That's all? You look taller. No, you're taller than that. Six foot two, 190 pounds. So someone uh, wrote in and was saying how the eagle is uh, tall. And he was saying, I guess there's pro- I could see some upsides and some downsides to being tall. <laughs> 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 which which <laughs> makes me like, yeah, I wish you would have put his height. Um, 
So we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do some questions. Now I, I want to dispatch a couple. The, the two most common questions these days coming in, and I'm just going to deal with these real quick, are what in the world is wrong with your the online store where you can get meat eater apparel? If we, had, if we had three hours tonight, I would try to explain what is wrong with the online store. Everything's wrong with the online store. Um, there's always like some, it's mostly a store you go to to see uh, things that you cannot buy. It's like a website one goes to to see things that exist in idea only and are actually unpurchasable. That's every store for me. Oh, yeah, just because you, yeah, you're a dirt ass and can't afford it. <laughs> but I'm saying this stuff is just because it doesn't exist. It's like uh, it's perpetually out of stock. Um, so that's that. That'll change. I think that'll change. There's stuff. There, there, it is worth going and taking a look because you can get some there's some stuff on there. I, I just don't have any. There, there's no. There, it, it right take now, prep. we have some great first light, meteor embroidered first light stuff in, on there. Yeah, yeah, that's there. But yeah, just keep checking back on that. Uh, the other two questions people always want to uh, know what's up with DVDs. I feel like we kind of moved away from DVDs. Not we as a culture, but but I don't know if there's DVDs anymore. Yeah, they're in the works. Oh, they are going to come yeah. out more DVDs. Yep. And another question is, are there a bunch more, uh, we put, is there a bunch more shows coming on Netflix? Right now we have two seasons of Meat Eater up on Netflix. You know, the best thing to do is just watch them all the time. And even when you're gone out of your house, leave it on. Continuous loop. And uh, go give it a real good rating. That'd be the best thing you could do. If you want more seasons of Meat Eater Yeah, I mean, Netflix. to generate, you know, to, to like you as a mug at home, that would be a, a, a great thing to do. So that, that's kind of like, the, those are the, 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 the questions that are just coming in, coming in, coming in over and over again are those three things. And, and, there's, and now we're going to get on to more, more stuff like uh, technical ballistics and, and, um, and then conspiracy theories and, and some other stuff. But first, <laughs> uh, Giannis, the Lavian Eagle. Good evening. Is here. Dirt Myth. Can't wave at him, Garrett. You got to actually speak. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Good stuff. And then, and then, um, and, and then, and then, big game uh, hunting guide, author, television personality. Don't you just hate that television? Oh, television it. personality, Remy Warren. Hey, this is Remy. <laughs> I'm doing the podcast in radio voice. I think it'll really spice things up. <laughs> um. So, all right, Yanni, lay, roll them out. <clears throat> you, you have are you feeling where you want to start, like uh, mm. planning, technical, or you want to go no, right man, into conservation? Lamb, I'm gonna let you. Uh, well, let, let, a let, a let, popular this, word these days is curate. You're gonna curate. This is the one that you said you could answer with half of your brain tied up. I would love to hear your breakdown of the dichotomy. Oh, you know what? Can I, can I interrupt you, Yanni? Sure. Feel free to um, paraphrase. Yes, if, they, if, if they are 200-word questions, I will paraphrase. I'd love to hear your breakdown on the dichotomy between why we need federal management of public lands but state management of wildlife. I am, of course, playing devil's advocate with this question, but I could see it may be hard to draw the distinction between why each is better in their respective application. I like state management of wildlife. Well, okay, let me back up. I like... These two issues are have to do with sort of inertia, okay? So what has been done successfully 
over time. I'm not a guy that's going to come and say that the federal government does everything great or that they do everything wrong. And I'm not going to say that the states always know better or the states don't know what they're talking about. I think you have to take these things on a case-by-case basis and also look at the historic context of what's worked and not worked in this country. Now, the way wildlife management generally works, generally, with the exception of, of, of some species that are migratory and fall under um, both state and federal jurisdiction, the way wildlife management in the U.S. generally works is that wildlife is owned by the people, by you and me, by the American public. And it's owned in what's called a public trust. Now, the trustee, the person who manages this public trust, has generally been, you know, going back over well over 100 years, has generally been the states. And the states manage wildlife very well. Now, you can point to some cases where, you know, again, going back to the late 1890s, early 1900s, where we had a lot of wildlife species go nearly extinct and we've, and we've you know, recovered them to great effect since then. But you could go like, oh, yeah, well, if state management's so great or if our wildlife management system's so great, then how come, you know, we almost extirpated the buffalo from the United States of America, or why did the passenger pigeon go extinct? And the answer there is because the system we have in place now wasn't in place then. We weren't doing the system we have now. The other thing about state management of wildlife is that I think that the state fish and game agencies, all 50 of them, do generally a very good job of managing wildlife as a renewable resource. I find that states tend to be tend to be hunting friendly and do a lot of good science-based management. And it's just a system that has served us well and I don't like to see it get interrupted. Now and then a species might fall to low numbers and fall under federal protection under the ESA or Endangered Species Act, but the object of that act is to give that animal protection, add some extra muscle to protecting the animal with the goal of getting it back off the list. And when it gets off the list, it goes back to state management. So state management is where wildlife kind of, for lack of a better expression, is kind of where wildlife wants to be. Now, why it doesn't work with with why it doesn't make sense to then say like, okay, so if states do good with wildlife, why shouldn't the states get all of our federal land? Because states have different obligations with assets like land. Now, a lot of states cannot run budgetary deficits. And when a state holds land as an asset and they have a budget deficit, they can wind up in a situation where they need to dump off lands to raise money. The federal government is buffered from a lot of those pressures that come and go with economic trends and economic times. Now, if you take a look, a lot of states got one section out of every 36 sections as something called school trust lands. So a lot of your state parks and school properties and all that kind of stuff is in what was originally deemed a school trust land, meaning they were, the states were given one section out of every 36 to monetize those sections in order to pay for public education. Texas went 
and liquidated and sold off virtually all of their school trust lands. So now, if you ever wonder about the paucity of public lands in state parks and state forests in the state of Texas, you can blame the desire to dump lands in order to get quick monetary gains. When we're talking about the public land heist right now, what we're talking about is it's being pushed by people who will tell you that our federal lands ought to be given over to the states because people in the states know better than the federal government because the federal government's just a bunch of big bureaucrats off of Washington, D.C., don't know their, you know, on and on and on. What they really want, though, what they're getting at is they want to streamline the process of monetizing those lands. They're pissed because it might be hard to get permits to do extractive industry, to, to do various development projects on these lands. They feel that it'd be a hell of a lot easier to play ball with the states when you're trying to do exploitation of land than it is with the feds. So they want to move federal lands to state control because they know that they will either wind up being privatized, that is sold off to the highest bidder, or they'll be much easier to develop and do extraction projects on them. That's what it's about. So ground and critters are just different kinds of things. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. yeah. That was a long ass was, answer. Because before you no, answer that, I could answer that in one sentence. No, I didn't say that. I, I said you, with with I said it with relative ease. Oh, okay. I thought you said. Oh, that was a different question. Okay. Um. No, not with one sense. All right, Yanni. What's next, man? Cleanliness in the field. Why do you not use gloves? <laughs> Remy, That's, you, okay. you were using gloves the other day. I cutting, do. I do. Remy's use gloves. just cutting up elk with gloves on. Yeah, but when you're guiding and you're doing it all the time, here's why I use gloves. I'll give you the glove defense. Hey, man, I'm not opposed to gloves. I don't use them, but I, I actually think it's a good idea. You're never yeah. going to regret using gloves. No, because I, I, you know, if you're guiding or whatever, you, you're cutting up a lot of animals. First thing, the blood dries your hands out, and they start cracking, mm-hmm. bleeding. It actually gets pretty painful, especially when it's cold. So, you know, some people, but I, I have got blood poisoning before. So that's my, and it wasn't, um, it was on an elk skull that I left out, but I thought, ah, and I poked myself with a knife and got the old blood poisoning. And that was not fun. How did that manifest? Uh, So I poked myself in the thumb, but I don't even remember. I I, I barely remember doing it. I went inside. um, Afterwards, I washed with antibacterial soap and water. My friend had called and had got a deer, so I went and helped him get it out. And then I hunted all the rest of the week. Uh, We were in an area where there was a lot of spite, like in the um, timber, and there was like a a lot of spiders in there. So I thought I maybe got bit by a spider because one day it, seemed my thumb kind of itched mm-hmm. seemed agitated and started to feel sore and it looked it kind of grew like a spider bite at this point the the poke was completely gone it was already healed gotcha. so i didn't really even put you know i i vaguely even remember doing it because it was so minute um then my thumb really started to hurt and started to swell up and look purplish i thought well maybe it was a bad spider bite and then I went to bed that night thinking, ah, oh, this thing really hurts. And I woke up the next day and it was nearly black, about twice the size. And my whole arm hurt all the way up the veins. My armpit was like oh, extremely really? inflamed. So you knew something was going and on. And I said, yep, that was, and then I, and then I put 
all the pieces to the puzzle together and said, oh, yeah, it was from poking myself. And uh, well, I'll say this. The, 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 the latex gloves aren't going to prevent the poke, but no, they might have no, they prevented some of the intrusion of, uh, of blood into the, into the poke. No, but what it made me think is, I mean, how many times, every time I'm out hunting, I mean, my hands right now are covered in cuts. Yes. So if I'm in the blood or thorn or anything, and it's a, because what it, I'm relating it to is it was such a minute poke, it didn't even cut the skin really. Yeah. It would have, it would have been just as easy to be on the hundreds of scratches on my hand yeah so scratch from a thorn whatever exactly anything i mean my hands are covered in that so when you're in there if you got something like that in there you know and then there's been a couple times where i've cleaned an animal eaten a sandwich and gotten sick afterwards too like somebody like a client may have got shot something you know get it on my hands rub it off on the snow eat a sandwich and i'm violently ill like food poisoning type sick the next day yeah, I, I, I'm going to probably go toward gloves. And I, um, I wear them now messing with rabbits. I'm trying to remember to wear them messing with rabbits because of tularemia. So rabbits have a little flea or mite on them, you know, and that thing can bite you and give you a, a you know, a bacterial infection. And they kind of get all over your arms and everything. But I've been wearing gloves there to prevent those little sons of bitches. And then... I'm probably going to start doing it. Now, I'll tell you a little uh, insider trick. We were up hunting on Nunavak Island. The uh, Chupic Eskimo that we were hunting with, I'm sure a lot of people do this, but they have an idea. Like, when you're butchering an animal and it's super cold, it's just very hard to keep, you know what I mean? Like, the meat's warm, but after a while, your fingers are just going to get cold. They put on a light wool glove and then put the latex gloves over that light wool glove. Oh, yeah. And man, does that make it nice. I've done that before. Yeah. Yeah, it works cold really well. Weather, cold weather field work, it's yep. just a whole different deal, man. Because even when you get that warm blood in your hands, the minute you lift your hand away from that thing, oh, it yeah, just freeze freezes. Your hands. Yeah. yeah. But I will say, though, I think when I'm filming or doing anything for TV, I don't wear gloves because I think it looks weird. I don't like the way it looks. Really? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know why. That's weird. But no, I mean, not. I don't think I do it intentionally, but, you know, I also if I'm, I don't know, just, it's just easier to wipe your hands off sometimes if I'm messing with a camera or something. Yeah, but I think he's talking about just gloves. hygiene gloves. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I'm talking like when I'm cleaning an animal. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I always am on the lookout for things because I'm, I'm always worried about stuff that's like um, just like turning into a candy ass. Yeah. So when people first started hiking with walking with ski poles, I was like, I'm not going to do that because that looks like one more step in the direction of candy assness. I felt the same way when people started using gloves. I'm like, wait, what? Like, because I'm always trying to push, I'm, I'm always trying to like, people who think that, that everything's so risky and dangerous, you know, like who are just like, people who are like bizarre about all the stuff they won't eat and they won't go near this. And, and I just always like, yeah, I'm always a little leery of like over danger, the over dangerification of America or the perception of danger. So I lumped those things in with this problem of people thinking everything is too dangerous all the time. However, I have come to, I, I have many dear friends who hike around with trekking poles, ski oh, yeah. poles, and I have many dear friends who wear gloves, and I don't think that they're hysterical and worried about everything being dangerous. 
Makes sense. You got you, you cool on all that dirt? Yeah, I mean, I there's certain things yeah. I don't do. I, I will never put chapstick on, ever. Oh, oh come on. Now. No. I, put, I, ch- I got oh, two is, tubes. I got I two tubes down. in my pocket right now. We can't even talk anymore. This conversation, <laughs> podcast over. That has nothing to do <laughs> oh, with what I'm talking you, about. We, when I shake, <laughs> if I shake someone's hand and they have lotiony palms, I'm a little leary of that oh, person. Wait, <laughs> that's Chapsticks not like is, chapstick. No, chapstick's the same. No, it's just no. in my mind. When I, I don't use chapstick, use, maybe I do once not a year. use hand lotion. Yeah, but yeah. I use chapstick. chapstick. See, chapstick to me, it you put chapstick on when your lips are bleeding, and you can put it on for the duration that it is bleeding. That is okay. But if your lips are not bleeding, chapstick should never touch your lips. I use it prophylactically. Oh no, you're addicted. No, it's like it's like Garrett and his chew. Oh, you're sneaking over <laughs> now, there. Now, Dermot is on. categorically <laughs> absolutely addicted to chewing tobacco. Do you use sunscreen, Remy? I do use sunscreen. Well, why is that okay? It's preventing cancer. So it's chapstick. Oh, all right. They got that dirt. You cool so far? No, I do. I'm just curious if you had any bad uh, ill effects from not wearing gloves, like Remy's story, throughout you know the the ages. Uh, Other than the rabbits, of, yeah. I can't think of anything that's happened to me that it would not have happened with gloves. Had I ha- now, I can think of a of a couple hundred things that would have not have happened if I was wearing cut proof gloves. Yeah. Now that's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I, my hands, you know, I nick my, every, I mean, everybody, you nick in yeah. your knuckles, and, yeah. you know, I mean, that just happens, and yeah, and like cut-proof gloves, but then you lose some of your dexterity, but you don't lose your dexterity with, with, the uh, latex. Yeah, I call yeah. them latex gloves, I don't even know if they, are they yeah, latex? Yeah, they, they are. Depends. Yeah. See, all these keeping too, but if you nick yourself, and then you cover it up, I mean, I would generally put it on, like, if you cut yourself bad, then you can put the glove on keep everything out of the that's fresh cut. That's a good cut. point. You know, that's what, yeah. when I pulled the gloves out the other day, I pulled them out after I cut myself. Now, <laughs> in my kit, in my kit, I carry um, alcohol swabs. So those little square single serving alcohol swabs, I carry alcohol swabs. I carry, um, you know, some sort of triple, like neosporin, triple antibiotic ointment. I carry band-aids and I carry tape. And I am very careful about when I get a cut processing, you know, doing field butchering. I douche it good with water. Then I douche it really good with that alcohol swab. Then I put triple antibiotic ointment in there. Then I put a band-aid on it, and then I seal it up with med tape. Yeah, that was the best doctor job I've had in the field. Yeah, I'm adamant about carrying those things. I got like a little, I got like a real heavy-duty little super sort of little envelope. Yeah. You know, a sealable, like reusable, double sealed envelope. And in there, I keep all that stuff and I keep it right in my kit. Yeah. And so that might be part of the thing because I've had a lot of infections. Like when you're cleaning fish, like let's say you're cleaning uh, um, quillback rockfish. Oh, yeah. And you put that dorsal, one of those dorsal spines into your hand, it's just going to get infected, man. Oh, yeah. You know? Follow up question. When you got diagnosed... Is this your follow-up or the asker's follow-up? Mine. Okay. When you were diagnosed with blood poisoning, did they explain like exactly what happens in, in, in that instance? Like Obviously, the elk's blood got through the cut. No, what it was is bacteria. bacteria. It was, a, it was an so, old skull, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, was a, it was a fresh skull, but I left it out in the sun, and then it started to stink. You know, it was like I had... Yeah. So, because I, I packed it out, put it in a bag, left the bag there. I'm like, 
sunbeat on yeah, it for you got a, a bacterial day. infection yeah, and you're like, in oh your... gosh that stinks i'm just gonna saw the skull and then poked myself somehow you know i don't even know if i i don't even know if you know, it must have been with a knife or something somehow well, did I they poked. treat did they treat it with a souped up antibiotic yeah an iv and then oh uh, you did the IV. yeah, yeah. So did you have days, to do it for 28 days uh no i did it was only two days of IV, and then 28 or however long of the souped up pills like four pills at every Really? You know, a pill every four hours, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, you know, yeah. those so big it, ones. It's just like a random enough bacteria that is not seen, like, often. And so when this happens, it's just, it's so heavy duty and it attacks your body with such strength that you have to take those kind of measures. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Somehow what happens, the, I, I, what I, I'm no doctor, but I'm assuming the bacteria dirt, dirt is. gets yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me again what happened. Okay. So it started hurting right here. Um, no, so... The bacteria is essentially in your bloodstream because your lymph. The reason my armpit was swollen up right. was my lymph nodes were trying to process the bacteria from getting it to the rest of my body. Mm-hmm. Is what I gathered. But let's yeah, do, let's the, do, the I, I think we should do another question. Yeah. That was a good follow-up question. Yes. Ooh, I like this one. Since we're on kind of dead meat and so car- we've only, carcasses, we've only, done, we've only got two done, man. All right. Um, little paraphrasing here. Uh, my name is Matt. I shot a white-tailed doe, 6 p.m. Friday evening. I'm tracking. Um, retrieved the deer, 10 p.m. the same night. Temperature was cold, but coyotes got to my deer first. They had started eating the hind quarter. My question is, should I still eat the deer? Yeah, why not? Eat what the, the eat was not messed up. I mean, what the, it's like they uh, decided the coyotes put strychnine in there or something. Yeah, it's Remy? not going to affect anything. No, just eat whatever's I mean, not if, messed if you, up. If you're worried about it, just trim off yeah. they, where they bit. Yeah. Unless the deer turns to a werewolf. Yeah, unless yeah. it does something weird. <laughs> but no, yeah, of course, man. I, I mean, just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I, I would trim around any kind of damage they did, but yeah. That's a big deal, man. I, I've got more friends that that's happened to now. Carl Malcolm has had that happen to him. He hit an antelope. Uh, I can't remember if he's bow hunt. Maybe he's, I can't remember. I think he's bow hunt. Hit an antelope and gave it a half hour and went down to track it. Now, when he went down the goalie where it ran into to track it, he heard an antelope run off. And then he's like, shoot, I got a bad hit and I just bumped it. Then he waited a long time later until he started hearing all kinds of coyotes yipping and carrying on. Then he goes down there, and in fact, the one was laying right, it was laying right dead where he thought it was. The one that ran off must have been a, something else or jumped another antelope out of there. And just in, in that short period of time, while he was nearly present, like nearby, they got in and started messing it all up. Hmm. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. 
With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah. Trimmed it up and used it. You know, I, I, I don't even remember. I don't even remember the detail. I mean, I remember that part of it, but I don't remember what happened from there. I'm saying, like, people, you know, you hear a lot about people losing stuff to coyotes i would be very you know a lot of guys that bow hunt you know they'll get a hit and they'll come back in the morning i would be we never did that i don't like to do that i'd be extremely reluctant to do that unless i lived in the area that had very low coyote numbers and it was like about 10 degrees below zero i killed an elk with my bow one time and we were out and it was a bad grizzly area i killed it in the evening um it was you know when we started working on it it was already dark and we didn't want to gut it because we knew that if we gutted it, the smell of the gutting 
would have grizzlies all over it. And this was early season and days were pretty short. And so we just went back down to our tents and got our stuff and slept and then went back up there at first light. And it was a cold night. Went back up there at first light and thought it would be cool. And some meat around that bull's ball sockets on the rear hams had already started to sour. We lost probably, I don't know, five, 10 pounds of meat from around the ball sockets on the back hams. So, um, yeah, you got to get after it. I always wonder when people are talking about, oh, yeah, we went back the next day, and I'm, I'm thinking about the weather. I'm always like, maybe this isn't part of the story you're telling me, but there's no way that thing, there's no way you didn't lose See, parts of that critter. So, no, in my experience, I've, I've, like, if I make a shot or even, you know, you just don't know, you don't want to push the animal. Because yeah. the last thing you want to do is push the animal. You will not find, if, if I have an archery client or something, they shoot it, uh, elk or something further back. The last thing I want to do is push it because I know I won't find it, you know. But I know if I leave it, I'll find it. Um, this year, my dad shot a mule deer in August in Nevada. Well, far back, you know, we left it overnight. We found it, you know, pretty much. I don't know after sunup, but you know, been sitting there. It was warm, but all the meat was good. I've never lost any meat of anything really? I found the next day. Not one animal. That only happened to me that one time, and that was the only time I ever no. had left something ungutted overnight. I mean, I've... But I feel like an elk is a much different yeah, animal. Elk, than, yeah, than elk is deer. different. But I mean, I've had, I've had hunters that we've, we've gone back the next day to find them. Most of the time, it's probably pretty cold, and I, I, I can't... And just in my experience, I yeah, can't no, personally no, no, think sorry. of losing any meat, and I feel like we often, I mean, I am, cause, because I've, maybe because I've never lost anything, I'm of the kind of opinion, better be safe than sorry and just come back tomorrow. Yeah. I, if I hadn't had that experience, and yeah, I mean, it'd be really helpful if I knew, if I could tell you like, oh, and the air temperature was this. I just remember it was like right. not below freezing, but a cool night. And we were back up at first light. So it was in September. And I killed it right at dark. We were back at first light, and it was it was sour, like unquestionably soured around the ball joints. Yeah. So, all right. We never lost a single one that I can remember in Colorado in ten years that we would leave. And I don't know that might have been. You're saying you never lost any meat, or yeah, never any left meat, one ungutted overnight. Any meat. We never lost any meat. Really? But the one that we I that we once in Arizona, we left a bull overnight found him first first thing in the morning he was shot at dark found him first first thing in the morning and uh we lost half that elk was oh it really did yeah. it rain that night no but it didn't, definitely didn't get below freezing it was probably like a you know mid to low 40s kind of an evening yeah and, i could uh, see it i mean elk retain heat so well oh yeah that i could see it happening with elk but i think deer you, i think i don't know you'd probably be better off Maybe letting him sit if it was a marginal shot and pushing a gut shot deer. Yeah, you got to think about it too. I mean, it's really, I don't want to belabor the point, but you got to take serious what, what Remy's saying here about not pushing stuff. Yeah. Not pushing animals because if you get a questionable hit on an animal, it's very likely going to run off and not far and lay down and probably die. Now, the thing about pushing them is it's not that 
if you go after something and push it, it's not that you're prolonging its life. You're just moving it to a place you're not going to find it. Like that thing, maybe he's going to be alive for X amount of time. Now, if he spends that tire, that time that he's alive hauling ass, he's going to be, you know, he, when he expires, he's going to be out in a place where you have no way of finding him if there's no good blood trail. So, yeah, you got to be careful not to. Yeah, you just got to weigh your options. I've been, in that, I've been in that situation quite a number of times, especially when I was younger, when we, like, a lot of us, friends, family, like, a lot of people out doing a lot of bow hunting for whitetails and doing, you know, like, in the month of October, in the month of November, spending, you know, having a lot of blood trailing oh, yeah. experiences throughout that time that you get in that thing where you're going along on a trail and all of a sudden you hear something crash off in the brush and you just get that sinking feeling like, man, this is going to turn into a chase. You know. Yeah. That's this one comes from Emmett. Remy, you're going to be a great help on this one. Emmett would like to go to New Zealand. Ooh. DIY. Remy. It's red, like built for Remy. Yeah. Red, red stag on public lands does not want to hire a, a guide or go to a ranch. Not even really want to hire you, Remy. I don't guide. He'd probably go with Remy. Just orchestrate. No, he doesn't want to hire an orchestrator. <laughs> an orchestra? What about a concierge? <laughs> concierge. So, obviously, concierge. You, could, you could write a few chapters of a book off this question. but um, I can answer that question. So let me, let me back up and make sure I got it right. He wants to go to New Zealand and do a DIY public land red stag hunt. Got it. I don't know the answer, but I'm guessing that's hard. Okay. Yeah, here's all he has to do. I mean, if, first... He has to have realistic expectations if he wants to be successful. He's not going to shoot a big giant stag like he sees on TV. So if he knows that going into it, cool. Then he'll, he'll have a great time. Then the only other thing he needs to do, just go on the Department of Conservation website, the New Zealand Department of Conservation website, and study it because it will show him essentially everywhere he can go that has red deer to hunt. So finding the spot, which is kind of the hard part of hunting sometimes, where should I go? they'll just pretty much tell you where to go. And unlike here where they just kind of give you a general area, they'll tell you exactly where you can access the trailhead, a phone number to call to get permission to cut through land, and you can be on your way. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to maybe make some friends via the social media that's out there of people that hunt and kind of pick their brains and don't ask them necessarily where they hunt, but what they might think about if you go to someone and say, what do you think about this place or this place and be friendly in a conversation, uh, you'll probably find that you'll get a lot of help. Yeah, it's, you have to go out of your way to find a Kiwi that's not going to be, friendly, oh, yeah. be exactly. friendly and give you some info. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there's some people that take the approach, oh, stay up. But to be honest, most people are like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And really, if I lived in New Zealand or whatever and an American was like, hey, you know, where could I go? They'd be like, I would give them information because someday I may want to go hunt in America and see what their world's all about. And it's yeah. just a great way to connect with people. I mean, I've, I've met a lot of cool people while being out there and I've met people on the trails out there and been like, Oh, Hey, next week we're going to this spot. Want to come with us? Yeah, I'd love to. And you know, it's just uh, it's just a really friendly hunter friendly place. Aren't there some permit draw hunts for red deer? Yeah, they are. But um, you know that if you're going over for the first time, just, I wouldn't even worry about it. I yeah. just go where it's. Are, are they? Are they? They're, they're an extremely difficult to access. The permit draws, aren't they? In like some part of the 
island that's very difficult to to be in yeah so it's actually getting more popular in a lot of places there there's like a fjordland wapiti block which is like our elk and that's so during the roar is the only time you can go in there any other time but there's like permits just during the peak of the rut oh so that's not red deer um there, there's some some of the units have red deer some of the units are more elk yeah a lot of them are crossbred oh okay i yeah. got you but yeah department but for of your first time website. you don't need to worry about messing with that yeah and then there's a there's a book you could buy online it's called spot x it pretty much marks every hunting spot on like a really easy to read map it tells you how to get there and what the people saw oh yeah it's pretty easy wow spot x yeah that guy came to the right place man <laughs> yeah Brandon asks, how about a workout guide slash tips for a Midwest person planning a fall elk hunt in Montana? I think we just did this for a long time recently, talked about this subject. Let's move on to a different subject. You don't want to talk? Oh, I was going to. No, didn't we, didn't we talk we did. for a long time well, about we, how yeah, in Colorado. you just got to walk all the time up and down. It's not about trying to get your neck thicker and your mm-hmm. wider ears. It's about endurance. Yeah. Oh, can I add something to that, though? This is a lot. Well, of pe- if it's okay to answer this question, then we can just add well, a little this, bit. This is, they this haven't is, heard Reddit's take on it. This is, this is my take. Because I've, you're, if you're going to come to Montana or wherever and do a hunt, okay? And yep. you're doing all this workout to be ready, but you're going to be wearing a pair of boots that you've walked in for a couple trips just, to the tree stand. I just talked about this. this. I'm like, if you're going to do, here's what you should do. If you're going to go hunt next year, wear your hunting boots every day to work. Wear your hunting boots every day. Like a, if you're going to wear a stiff pair of boots, a pair of Kenetrek boots takes 50 miles to break in. And, that's, and when you start walking uphill, they break in different. So whatever boots you're going to wear, you need to wear them every day. Yeah, I was just talking that's, about this. That's just as important. As and I was saying, out. when people are going to talk about, I'm going on this big old Western hunt, what should I do? They're always like, what knife should I get? I'm like, no, no, no. There's two things you need to do. Get in good shape and break your boots in. Oh, yeah. And no one ever, ever does either of those two things. I deal with a lot of people on their first elk hunt or like first time out west or even guys that just aren't used to it come out elk hunting. Everyone's feet are tore up. They never believe you. No. They can't. Like there's something in the human mind that cannot accept that it takes a long time to break boots in. Boots and feet. Yeah, I mean, if your feet, I've seen feet that are so tore up, it cripples you. More than being out oh, of breath. Yeah. Yeah, Bad yeah. feet. I, I've seen feet problems ruin more hunts than any other cause. Yeah. What I do, um, I, I walk around barefoot a lot. You talk, you're, you're hearing from right now from a man who's wearing a pair of Uggs. <laughs> no, no, these, these are Mugs. <laughs> these are Mugs. They're man Uggs. They were made before. They're from Australia, and they were made before Uggs ever existed. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're Mugs. <laughs> they were a gift. And you're lounging, you're lounging around. Right. Well, I, they're on you're, the floor. You relax. You know, I should point out, he doesn't actually have mine, do you? They're no, next to him. He's exactly. barefoot. He has them near his yeah. feet. But I do, I do walk around barefoot a lot to break my like callus my feet up yeah i walk around like i actually hike barefoot quite often just to get them tough what's next yanni brad asks well he's first he says he's a first generation hunter new father and he's looking forward to the day he can take his kids out in the field he's interested to hear how you steve plan on introducing hunting as a lifestyle activity to your kids Oh, uh, that was a quick question. 
Well, my kids like it, at our house. When, you know, when they when we eat dinner at night, we just eat uh, game meat, um, and then we talk all about that. That's the first step. I think that's one of the more important steps. First off, is they just have that approach. So when they sit down, their assumption is, is that we're eating deer meat, um, and I think that starts to put. It, I, I feel that's kind of put them in the right mind frame of how to think about animals and understanding because it, it creates a lot of conversations about where this stuff comes from, what it requires, what kind of sacrifices on our part as a society it requires to you know, maintain productive wildlife populations and, and what goes into harvesting wildlife and, and getting into conversations about sex and death and stuff like that. That's been a, that's been a key thing and getting my kids interested in the outdoors. Um, the other thing that that uh, that I like to do is is take them out um, fishing because I think that kids can you can have good experiences fishing with kids much younger than you have good experiences hunting with kids. I take them out the areas sometimes where it's like high, like high action fishing, right? Catching a lot of fish. But I don't want to spoil them like that. So, you know, sometimes we'll go to areas where it's not high action. But I think mainly just trying to, like, make it fun and try to force them a little bit and push them a little bit and, and get in there and boss them around a bit and, you know, and show them that the whole, that, that everything in life isn't just someone telling you how great you're doing at everything. But also to be sensitive to um, their attention span, whether or not they're comfortable my dad, uh, at, he pushed us really hard and put us into a lot of physically uncomfortable situations. He was a big ice fisherman. Um, I froze my fingers bad a couple times when I was a little kid. You know, I kind of look back and marvel that it didn't backfire, like that he didn't push us away from wanting to be in the outdoors with some of the approaches that he took. I try not to make those mistakes, but I try to also realize that you are sort of showing them um, that... A, a good life skill is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, yeah, just, I guess, even though that all sounds somewhat contradictory, I guess it's like approaching it not in a haphazard way, but, a, but making an approach in a way where you're sort of thinking it out, making a plan, weighing where the kid's at and what they're doing, and just try to act in a conscientious way as you bring them into the world. And I'm, I'm sure there's a hundred good ways of doing it. And probably one of the keys is to do it in a way where you're analyzing your, you know, you're, you're thinking about your next step and you're being mindful with it and not being blase about it. How about you, Yanni? You got young kids. Yeah. No, it's been, uh, it's been inter interesting. I think that, like you're saying, being conscientious about how you do it and making sure they're having a, a good time. Um, and I think that putting the time in now and real and just and just taking a step back and, and being, um, I guess, humbled by the situation and just knowing that, like, because I'm always thinking, like, oh, I'm gonna squeeze in an antelope hunt. I'll take my daughter with me. Well, I'm not really squeezing in an antelope hunt at that point. It's like I'm taking my daughter hunting. And it's like, it just changes the whole game. You have to be out there not really thinking like, okay, what am I going to do to kill an antelope? It's like, what am I going to do to make sure 
she enjoys herself. Yeah, you it know? changes the trip a lot. Yeah, man. maybe we'll kill something, maybe we won't. But um, and I think that uh, I think uh, I could see, I could see how it'd be very easy. I don't know too many people that do this, but I could see how it could be very easy to say, "Oh, I'm going to hunt with them when they're like older and they turn into you know more mature people, and then they can just hunt with me." As opposed to having to go through the process that we're going through now. Probably too late. We're, yeah, exactly. It's kind of too late. We're like, like you're saying, start them off fishing with some high action fishing because, you know, then that will turn them into like big game hunters. Although I've taken her probably on just as many big game hunts as I have fishing trips. Um, it's, you know, I carry her on my shoulders all the way up to the top of the ridge. Then we make like a 500 yard walk down the ridge and then I carry her in the dark, you know, back down to the truck. You know, that's kind of the end of the hunt. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like just taking the time now, I feel like, and then ho- I'm hoping that in five years it's going to pay off. You know? Oh, yeah, you can't all of a sudden wait till your kid's like a teenager and be like, son, there's this thing I like to do. Yeah. It's just like, it, it, you know, it, maybe that'll work for you, but it's not going to be as good. Jump right in, you know. An- another trick I, uh, I should, probably should call it a trick, another thing that I notice works for people and it works well for me is don't start filling your kids' heads up with ideas of like, big white tails or certain fish being cool and certain not fish not being cool and like oh king salmon now that's a great fish but pink salmon you know uh, if we catch one sure but main thing is king salmon you know when your kid catches a fish it is it is time to celebrate i don't care if it's you know a mountain white fish or a pink salmon or a bluegill, or a rock bass, or a chub. It's like, when your kid catches a fish, that bitch and fish is the coolest thing in the world. You've always wanted to get one like that. You go home, you make a big deal out of cooking that fish. Mom's like, man, that's the best fish I ever had. Right? It's exciting. It's not like, there is no like, oh, it's just a pinky. Just a pink salmon. No, it's like, man, dude, you caught the coolest fish in the ocean. Because, like, they're just, you know, I mean, the kids are simple, man. I mean, there's like, a, they put a high value on getting approval from people they respect. And, um, and for me, I don't need to act like I think chubs and pink salmon are cool. I do think they're cool, and I let them know that I think they're cool. And then, you know, I kind of amplified a little bit. And just like that kind of encouragement, man. What's another question, Yanni? Was there ever a hunt or a view? I'm, I'm guessing a view as in like a, a beautiful landscape that got you emotional or in parentheses cry. What was it? Now, this is under the category of miscellaneous fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll say, okay, was there ever? So the the question is, was there ever? I will say, yes, there was. Remy? (laughs) Yes, there was. Well, no, but it says, what was it? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, A couple of, yeah, some of them are too hard to explain. Um, One example was watching a, one example was watching a, 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 indigenous you know an, an indigenous person in in south america build an arrow with native materials 
Um, one was like living somewhere a long time and then moving away a long time and then going back to that somewhere and kind of uh, remembering a lot of things that happened there, shit like that. Yeah, very, yeah, different times. Handful of things. And then things surrounding, you know, um, my dad dying. My dad died at old age. It wasn't like he died young, but like, yeah, things surrounding my dad dying and time we spent in the outdoors. Definitely happens. By you, Remy? Yeah, I mean, I can think of lots of instances. Getting blood you know? poisoning. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, actually, um, yeah, like the first uh, first deer, that uh, mule deer that I shot with my recurve, you know, I, I mean, it was like a very, you know, it was like, okay, well, it, you know, like a lot of work went into it and it mm-hmm. happens. And I think that's, you know, it can be like a rush of emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've seen. It's like, holy cow, that's a crazy view. And it makes you really sit and think about things. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time sitting um, actually where you guys went uh, deer hunting this year up on that ridge. And I mean, it's a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life and just laying up, looking at the stars. And it's like on the top of that ridge, the stars are almost below you and thinking, oh my God, I feel so small. <laughs> you know, it's yep. like, this is weird just being here. You know, those kind of thoughts. I was there a day. I took my six-year-old. My six-year-old played hooky with me for half the day because I took him to the rifle range. And we're coming back from the rifle range and we drove by uh a house we were renting before we moved into the house we recently purchased. And as we were driving, we were driving over a bridge and we were looking at a beach where we would always swim and looking at a place where we would fish perch. And my six-year-old, and I was like, oh yeah, you remember Jimmy? This is like, you know, and you know, it had only been a year ago, but when you're six, it's like a humongous chunk of your life, right? And he said to me, he says, sometimes... I'll remember things and it makes me cry inside my brain, but in a happy way. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, I know exactly it. what you're talking about, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I can't follow that one up. That's, Jimmy gets the quarter of the night. That's a good one. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. 
I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dugs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Dugs' place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them, to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more uh, does the state target beginner hunters with once-in-a-lifetime tags out of the assumption they're less likely to fill their tag? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> they wouldn't even know. <laughs> does hunting become work when it's your job? Is that a trick question? No. The, okay, that was inherently. <laughs> that, was, that was the paraphrased version. When my season, this is the full question. When my season ends in December, I start to think about next season. Doing it month after month, does it take away your love for the outdoors or the excitement of the accomplishments? I guess what I'm saying, does it just become your job? No. No. I mean, I'm very aware of what my job is. Um, but here, here's a good way of putting that, and I'll be curious to hear Remy's take on it. Um, I guess my job, my, my job has, my my job is like two, two things, right? So it's having experiences as a part of my job. Translating experiences is a part of my job. I think that having the experiences is really no different. It's really like very similar to probably anyone's enjoyment of like meaningful life experiences right I, like when i'm out doing like if we're out on a hunt that, that you know in the old before like a hunt that i was going to write about or now we're out filming a hunt the actual hunting part just feels like having an experience that you want to have and it's playing out how it plays out the work for me and i don't mean and i don't use work in a negative way because i love to work the work for me is or the job aspect 
is is translating it into something that that is, is pleasurable, entertaining, informative for other people. I guess that's like the work part. But I love that part, but I think of that as the work part. I don't think of like when we're actually out on the mountain, you know, like filming a hunt. I don't know. It doesn't feel to me at all like, um, like, oh man, I'm at work. I'll say to people, I'm like, yeah, we well, you know when we're out at work, we eat a lot of mountain house, but it's just like a sort of a shorthand way of explaining that I'm out, but it doesn't feel like that. I'm sure it's different <clears throat> well, no, for I think you guys who are on the crew because you're not actually hunting. And then, you know, I, he, Remy, I'm sure, has got to take on I it. think, from person to person. But I think all of us on our crew and a lot of people that we hunt with, you know, like Remy, were brought up in families where work ethic was pushed very hard. Yeah. So, like, we're not scared of the hard work and the physical work. And it's not like you go, like, you're not dreading that out there. I mean, there's plenty of people that would come on days with us and be like, the hell with that. You oh, know? yeah. But like for us, it's it's fun, and so yeah. I think like, I think when in quotations when people say that like does it become work? It's like no. It's like we're lucky enough that our in quotations work is this great thing that we enjoy. Yeah, I'm and only whatever, happy whatever being whatever productive. Like I'm only happy like being productive. It could be like being productive as a parent or or being helpful and productive as a husband or being, you know, like, like I, I don't like idle, I don't like idle moments. And so when we're out, it's like twofold. Cause one, one thing is you're out doing something that I love and have always loved and that I set out wanting to find a way to make it work as a, for a living. And on the other hand, I am doing something. I'm producing something. And so, yeah, I just, I feel nothing but, but good. I do. I'd, I'd have to agree with you though, for me as a cameraman, it is work with the duty to the responsibility to capture what you're trying to convey to the larger public. Like that, the physical activity, the long days, whatever that's in the like camaraderie is all. And there's a big technical aspect for you because you're dealing with a lot yeah. of equipment. So it is, it's definitely a combination of like, this is exactly what I want to do, but also like there's this, uh, accountability for what we're experiencing and it's work to stay focused on that. Like you can't just internalize this experience. You're having to work to, yeah. you know, keep track of it and make sure you capture it to its best ability. But it's it's definitely different than most people's work. Oh yeah, right. no, you like you as a cameraman, I would be more like you say like yeah, like you've been working all day, like you've been doing your craft all day. Yeah, I've been doing same. So like now when I'm hunting, it's like I, I, like the way we work though. Um, the hunts are, the hunts are like, in large measure, what happens is what would happen in the absence of the cameras. Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, to, to almost like a stunning degree, we found a way to do it where like, where where what would happen is happening. There's some things that that, that are that are different. Everything seems to take a little bit longer. Yeah, just some yeah. things are a little bit different, but you know, it, it doesn't bother me. We're not, it's not like we're out there like. Um, like like creating some creating some false spectacle. No, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I've never worked I haven't worked a day in my life in my job while working extremely hard at the same time. Yeah. Because I enjoy it. Like if I wasn't I, I feel like when it becomes work, it is definitely difficult. Otherwise everyone would do it. You know, there is an element where you have to really dig in and work really hard. I mean I was telling Steve the other day, I, I'm well I'm actually I'm just like 
a lifestyle guy. I loved hunting so much. I knew since I was a kid that I wanted to hunt. I could hunt every day. I'm the type of person that I could just do this every day. And when I graduated and was a younger man, I said, how am I going to be able to hunt every day? And I'm going to be able to do it guiding. So when I first started guiding, I worked my ass off. I mean, I would pack out elk all night long just to be there, show back up first thing in the morning to go back out again to be successful and constantly be hunting yeah, and make Remy sure I got used to have, Remy would have his clients back sleeping and he would go out in the dark and walk looking for tracks in the snow. Oh, yeah. I would, I would go out and scout just like drive roads looking for where elk were tr- crossing, you know, look for tracks, anything, come back, pick them up, head back out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I mean, because, and it was tough work, but I loved it. Because it was like, this is how I can be outside hunting all yeah. the time. And then o- over the years, it's morphed into other things, TV, this, that, and the other thing. But still, I only do it because that's the way that I want to live. So as long as I can make a means to be out there hunting, it's it's the same as it's always been. Now there's times where, yeah, you feel like, oh, dude. And, and it's a, maybe a little bit different for me. I think if I had a family and other things, then it would feel more like an obligation yeah. Whereas you guys, you guys have that because you have other obligations. I have, at this point, no other obligations, so I don't have that pressure of when I go out hunting. It's not me detracting from other obligations I have in life. Yeah, you know, it's you. it's my only obligation. So for me, it never feels like like work. But I could see it sometimes feeling hard, like just like anything where. But I don't think it would ever take away my love of hunting. Yeah, that, 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 is, be a very big, hard. that is a big downside is the the, the, the the family issue. But I think that probably goes beyond the. Uh, I'd speak to that, but it kind of goes beyond the scope of the. Yeah. Uh, of the question is asked. What's next, Giannis? Um, we've done this one before, but I think we could just touch on it again because I think our uh, is it about the Clintons and the Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> so because we ran of into course. a guy, Giannis ran into a guy today, right? That oh yeah, the tracks Classic. turned into wolves. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about this guy? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no. All right. Oh, but the question is, um, uh, how do you air travel with meat? Oh, do you use coolers with dry ice? Regulations of the airlines, approximate cost. Um, we have a very good system um, when it comes to butchering your own. St- so we butcher our own stuff, and here's what we do when we're traveling. If we get it when we kill an animal, we butcher it into primal cuts. So basically break it down into, into muscles. And then we have trim bags, okay? So you got it broken down into your big muscles. Anything you're going to grind up for burgers, sausages, whatever, we, we call that trim. We put all of it into gallon-sized Ziplocs, labeled. Put a real good chill on it or, if need be, freeze it. Then pack those into coolers now we use the soft-sided yeti coolers those 40 size 40 yeti hoppers 
because they don't weigh anything. Because when you pack, when you check a bag on the airline, you know, it's, it's got to be 50 pounds or else you got to pay extra. So when I load a box up with 50 pounds of meat, I want it to be as much meat and as little cooler as possible. So that's why we started using those hoppers. Because you're, when you pack a 50-pound box, you got 40-plus pounds of meat and not like half and half cooler to meat ratio. Fly at home. Then as soon as we get home, we divvy that up take those bags home, properly wrap them, and freeze them. What do you, uh, what will you normally chill them in? Cooling? It could be anything, man. We've done some, we've gone up and, and gone in and eaten in a restaurant and then being like, hey man, here's the deal, right? We have been had cold weather and chilled them outside. I've done yeah, I, I, I explained another thing I've done before and kind of got in trouble with it when I mentioned it on a, I was on an NPR program once and mentioned the strategy I had for chilling me. And then the rate, then they got a couple complaints that I heard about. <laughs> um, and I got reprimanded by it from the network for saying what it was, but it was a good, it's a good meat chilling strategy. Um, other, uh, what are other uh, ways we put a chill on stuff? Well, I would say we gotta be, you got to be cautious with the hoppers and dry ice. Oh, shit, yeah, man. <laughs> Those things are airtight. Don't put dry ice in a hopper you know, and blow up like a hand grenade. Yeah. You know what you can do, though? Just don't uh, leave the zipper crack. Yeah, but I think because the airlines, if there's a potential for it, I, I stick a straw in there. And then I'm like, oh, it's vented. With oh, dry right. ice. Yeah. I don't use, we, don't, we don't use dry ice. No. Just Not one. that I have any real gripe with we, it. We, we no, have, no, no, we did one time. We have overnight at the hotel. Yeah, that's chill right. Chill the yeah. cooler. Oh, and then we take it out. Yep. One yeah. night, we couldn't find a good chill that's place. That's right. Yeah. But it's, you know, a lot of guys, man, like, like some taxidermists have coolers. Hotels some, always some have Some butchers have. Some butchers will do meat storage. The Seattle airport, yeah. for instance, has a has a guy there i can't remember his name it's like ken's like freezer and he's right in SeaTac airport and you can bring him a box and he'll just put it in the freezer and charge you like a nominal fee to leave it in his freezer we've gone in and uh not long ago i gave uh we had a guy go home with some meat he just went to his hotel they found some freezer space for him some hotel rooms have those little mini fridges uh we were just out in colorado hunting and we had a place that had one fridge Turn the freezer on full blast. Put everything in the put everything in the freezer. You can put turn the fridge all the way down. Put it in the fridge. Swap it around. You know, it's like once you get the body heat off an animal and get it chilled, it's remarkably stable, man. Oh yeah, it's remarkably stable. I do a lot of the sim- same things you guys do, but uh, just a reminder: if you do try to use dry ice, throw it on top, not the bottom, because it'll freeze if it's on top. But if it's on the bottom, it'll just refrigerate whatever's in there. If you're trying to freeze it. Oh, I got you. I mean, if you, yeah. yeah, if you lay something on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, as long as because the dry ice, the cold drops. So the temperature is actually colder underneath dry ice than if you put the meat on top of the dry ice. Hold on. So you're saying load it. So, so if that- you want to, ref- you can use dry ice to refrigerate or to freeze. So if you want to use dry ice to refrigerate, you put dry ice on the bottom of the cooler, your meat on top of, like above the dry ice. If you want to use dry ice to freeze, you put the meat in the cooler on the bottom and dry ice on top of the meat. You know, I've, that, that's funny you mention that because I've seen that where um, it, trying to chill stuff in coolers in a hotel where you just went and bought a few whatever, like one, two pound blocks of dry ice. Yeah. And then I throw the dry ice on top. And it froze solid. Yeah, it froze the damn meat. Yeah, yeah. Started freezing the meat downward solid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll actually freeze it. 
colder than a freezer will. Yeah, my kids love to play with that stuff, yeah. man. But um, yeah, I, I found a, I, I've always done it that way, but I also found a new method that I'm trying out, and I'm just, um, you can find, if you can find a place ahead of time, if you know where you're hunting, that will air freight it. Because you have to have a license to air freight, so the yeah. normal person can't. I used, to, ha- I used to have that license, and then after, then it, I had that. Li- I had an air freight license, but it changed after uh, the terrorist attacks. Yeah. yeah. So, but the air freight. So from Alaska, I could. I got a whole moose home for 150 bucks. Dang. The air, freight, air freighted. Yeah. 150 wow. bucks. I used to have what was called known shipper status. Correct. On Alaska Airlines, and you could go and check a bag and not be on the plane. Yep. You could send the thing down, and your buddy just goes down to the baggage claim, picks, picks up your up. bag, and walks out and the it's door. it's there before you. Yeah, but, but they you, can't, don't, you can't do that can't anymore. do it anymore. But you can with the air freight. Air freight. Um, as far as the cost aspect of that, so we all fly a fair bit. You know, I have on Alaska Airlines, you know, I have you, know, you get the frequent flyer status. I always get my first two, oftentimes my first three bags free. Um. But if you're not doing that, I mean, you're, it's go on the airline's website and find out what extra baggage costs are. I know some guys that to save costs bringing meat home, they will go to an FFL, send their rifle home. To, you can send your rifle to yourself. Um, you don't even need to use an FFL to send it to yourself if you're going to be on the receiving end. Orders guys that just do rifle shipping where they package it up and ship it down to you, charge a small fee. It's cheaper than having an extra bag. And then they'll take all their clothes and any kind of light, bulky items, put it in a box and send it UPS ground and get it so they're going to go and check like one, two, three bags on the airline and have either just flying home with their meat so they can get it there quick and not try to be sending it UPS or something like that because it's, you know, overnighting or two-daying can be very expensive. So they'll mail their gear home, fly home with their meat. Yeah, and you can only mail your rifle firearm through United States Postal Service. You cannot use yeah. UPS or FedEx. But, but you can go down. This is kind of like a little-known fact, man, is you can... If you're going to be the one that opens, if you're going to be the one that receives it, you can send and it to opens it. Yeah. You can send it. It's not an FFL transfer. Correct. For you to send your gun to someone, but all over place, like all over places that are like hunting destinations, there are services that will box and ship your rifle. Yeah. Through United States Postal Service. Yeah. No. Through. Yeah. But that's yeah. just like they'll just do, you know they got all the. Yeah, they got all stuff. Because you can't just you know you have to you got to package it up yeah. and stuff so. Um. I think we've got time for one more, and this will be a good quickie and uh, some, get some nice tips out of it. But um, I forget the guy's name to ask or the gal, but uh, favorite piece of gear under 20 bucks. Hmm. Think about it. One piece of gear. One piece. I mean, oh, or, or, I got, I know I'm my sure answer. if you have two, you can say two if you have two favorites. Go your answer. I'm just still thinking. Cigarette right. lighters and then um, fifty foot chunks of paracord. That, eh, that's what I would have said. Dang it! That this got yeah. Paracord lighter. I'm gonna use it for everything. That's way less than twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. You still got you got you got you got light your jet dollars left. <laughs> yeah, because the striker on the jet boil doesn't last long. No, no. It's like a cigarette lighter, dude. It's like 
Yeah. What's well, the thing you hear most often camping? If you have one, you got your yeah. lighter on you. If you have <laughs> one lighter, you need four. You should have four lighters. One for every pocket. Jackets, pants. Just all over. At the end of the trip, you'll barely be able to find one. Yeah. But, you'd be like, yeah. Then you'd be the guy who goes like, hey, do you have on? Can you get your lighter on you? Duct tape. Put some duct tape on your lighter or your trek. Yeah, yeah, that helps you mark. Aren't it. Steve? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like. Yeah. Put like. Um, yeah, I wrap duct tape around my lighters, and different people use different colors so you can kind of claim your lighter. I wrap my Nalgene bottle or whatever with it, but and then paracord, it's like must have. I don't like to. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to hunting, it's just like I always have a chunk of paracord. Oh, zip! I carry zip strips, cable ties. Those are inexpensive. I use those for a lot of stuff. It's putting tags on animals, but also just like various repairs, backpack fixes. I mean, a lot of stuff. Like in my little kit, which is a very small bag but it's it's put together in a precise way um i guess nothing in that the bag itself is about 80 bucks on, from outdoor research no 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 no. they're not that the no the little uh the backcountry organizer backcountry organizer what are they more Le- than 20 yeah but less than 30 i think so. oh really okay so that's not that that's yeah, a nice piece of gear my outdoor yeah. research backcountry organizer nothing in that bag um including like a little bit kit i have with a with a bit that fits all the things like your bow parts rifle scope parts whatever kind of bit whatever bit kit i grab for what i'm doing that doesn't even cost 20 bucks and then in there i got like my med kit which definitely doesn't cost 20 bucks your chapstick. Chapstick. <laughs> Remy doesn't carry that. No. Um, which doesn't cost 20 bucks. You can start a fire with chapstick, though. That's my, you know what my fire, you know what my go-to fire starter is now? Chapstick and belly button lint. No. <laughs> close. Uh, because the TSA guys don't want you flying around with the chemical starters. Lint. I take cotton balls. I take one of Dirt Misk chew tins. Okay. <laughs> and then I take cotton balls and rub Vaseline into cotton balls. Pack those in there, and then I take heartwood, slivers of heartwood, and put it in the chew tin. So in my chew tin is Vaseline rubbed cotton balls, and a shitload will fit in there. Some heartwood sticks are in there, and that's it. And then I have Vaseline when I need it. If you need to protect your if bad wind chap or, you know, chap lips. I know it doesn't happen to Remy. Or any number of things. You got chapstick, but mainly those little balls light right up and oh, start yeah. fires great man and the tsa guys don't steal them that is definitely doesn't cost no 20 bucks yeah i found there's some good like uh some surprisingly cheap headlamps that are really good too like the ones you get at home depot some oh, really? energizer ones or rayvac yeah. ones or some battery company ones i got like go, wow i got like actually, the world's most expensive headlamp and it's just as good as the 17 dollar yeah. uh energizer <laughs> that no one asked about headlamps but i got some real opinions about headlamps we'll save that for another time <laughs> dirt you got any things you like that cost 20 bucks i think like you got truck said, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Hank, transportation no i'd say for sure just a kit you gotta have a kit and yeah. you can do it for under 20 bucks just put it in something that stays organized it's like no, you can't make the whole kit for under twenty bucks. I think so. I mean, the basics like lighter, P cord. Yeah, the P cord that we buy. Well, yeah, fifty of five ninety nine. Yeah, it's like fifty yards of that or fifty foots. Yeah, everything in my kit added up is worth well over twenty, but nothing in there. Yeah, no individual part of my kit, excluding the OR backcountry organizer. 
What kind of what bag do you run for your stuff? Same. You run the same thing. Yeah. What do you use, Remy? Remy uh, just kind of dumps it all into his backpack. Yeah. <laughs> and just spends all of his day looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, when I when I'm using my normal backpack, <laughs> everything has a specific place, and I have specific pockets. Oh, okay. So this is, I've just been seeing you in a rare situation. You've been seeing me frazzled, my friend. Remy went from having, oh thinking gosh. he had no knives, then producing a great abundance <laughs> so, of knives. <laughs> not the one I wanted, though. <laughs> um, Yanni, $20 piece of gear. Mm, it's something that probably lives in my little OR backcountry kit. Um, I'm trying to think of something you guys haven't mentioned. Boar snake, but I don't know. That might be over twenty bucks. That's over twenty. Oh, bucks. they're like yeah. nineteen ninety nine, yeah. aren't they? Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I think I think you're yeah. a penny under. Yeah. They're nineteen ninety nine. But you're saying there's no way you're gonna come and tell me that that's your most cherished. No, fa- no, oh. you guys have like met, you know picked out all the good stuff out of that little kit. Um, you know, lens wipe is a is a pretty n- nice piece yeah. of gear. That's well under twenty bucks. I always love to have a windicator. Like a tube of powder. Yeah. Tube of unscented talc powder. Yeah. And like, I think it's bullshit that people are always trying to like, being like, man, that $4 it cost me for that Windicator. Because whatever they do, they somehow make the puffy stuff so much better and finer than when you use it all up and then you're like, oh, I'm just going to throw some baby powder in there. I hunt with so many guys that are yeah. pulling out their, you know, big fat tube of baby powder and they're shaking it and it ain't coming out. It's clogged, whatever the well, heck. It's what they put in there, I believe, and I don't know, I've never tried to find it in bulk. It's unscented talc powder. Which is baby powder, is just talc, isn't it? I don't know. Unscented. Baby yeah. powder smells like, like Good. what we think babies smell like is actually baby <laughs> <Yeah>. powder. <laughs> I like that. This is probably super simple, but I just hadn't thought of it. For your wind indicator. My lighter? Yeah. Yeah, that's all I use. How do you use your lighter? lighter? I, well, it depends. If I'm like around here, I grab that um, old man's beard. beard. Yeah. yeah. Just crumple it and click it, and the spark in it just makes it smoke for a while. Oh, or, so or, I got you. But a lot of times, I just use the flame itself. Yeah. Tell the wind direction. I mean, you can't really sense thermals and other things, but for the most part, I flick the lighter depending on which way that flame's blowing. I know, and it's nice too because I can use it in the dark. Yep. So I, I, I that's I keep my lighter as my wind indicator. Uh, yeah, I use like um. And I use the grass as well. Like yeah, little bits of grass, seed tops off seed stuff. Tops, yeah. Um, dust. Like the main thing, like if it's there, if it's dry, just yeah. dust. But if it's wet out, the reason I like the little and I'm not like a habitual. What do you call those things that we carry around? Like what, wind indicator. Yeah. Windicator, it's just a tube of powder, like a little bottle of powder. Yeah, shoot it up in the air. It does give you a really sort of like nuanced understanding of the wind, yeah, right? When it hangs, like it'll go up, and you'll see that there's like some downward. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it gives you like a great visual, but I only use that after I sort of go. I, I like do a quick look around. I'm like, there's no like readily of you know, and then I'll yeah. use that thing. Or I'll pull a little down feather out of my uh, jacket you know? <laughs> and just we pull a little of those, drop them, and then slowly you your left, slowly you know your left, left arm left is generally really cold. cold. Yeah, <laughs> I would say actually with the gear question, this is, this brings up a good point. This most recent discussion, it should have multiple purposes, whatever it is. Like oh yeah, under the twenty bucks, like the lighter being a oh. indicator and. A light and a you know yeah I'll not then look at my kit and be like you know what 
this one this is. seems like this thing you have to have in there, but 20 years down the road. You've never used it. It hasn't come up yeah. yet. Like, for instance, I used to carry a striker. Yeah. So I would carry a li- I have a little teeny dinky thing of waterproof matches, just a couple, and I have my lighter. And I used to have a, a striker. Never used a striker. Yeah, just like it's Never just, used a waterproof matches, probably. No. No. But that just gives me, that just makes yeah. me feel like, yeah. or now I put Safe. a little, what's that? <laughs> like say, it's like a comfort yeah, thing. Yeah, but they also yeah. make those little shit and lighters too. So I might start throwing one of those little shit and lighters the, in there. The little, it's just a striker. Just like no, a, no, no, it's just no, like a, a mini, mini lighter. Oh, mini yeah, big. Yeah. Like a, like yeah. a, like a yeah, cigarette yeah. lighter that's teeny, teeny. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. The TSA guys will steal your lighters. Yeah, oh, yeah. And leave a note. No, you just keep them on you. I know that thing. You got that, but you got to remember. So now, like lithium batteries, like in my kit, I also keep like enough like replacement battery for stuff. So if I'm running like my my uh, my uh, fl- my water purifier, scary yeah. pen, like I'll have in my kit an extra lithium battery for that thing. But now you can't have lithium batteries. So now there's all this garbage you got to move from your. You got to like, and I can't just check my kit. Because there's stuff like knives and stuff. There's stuff in there that you can't carry on, yeah. but then there's stuff in there that you can't check. It's right. really like I have some gripes. You think I'm fired up about how I hate Hunter's Orange Laws? I got some real gripes with TSA. <laughs> I believe it. And then messing with my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Thanks for listening. How many questions is that, Yanni? Oh, I don't know. Ten. Double digits. And it probably answered other questions in the periphery. Oh, shit, no, yeah. We, we, yeah. We did. It was, yeah. So if you want to find out, uh, Remy, where's the best place for people to go see what y'all got going on? They want to book a hunt, come hunting elk with you, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm all booked up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, Remy Warren. Remy Warren. Remy Warren. Yeah, yeah I just, I just, I just, I just uh, hit, I was just hitting Remy up on Instagram because we've been hanging out for the last couple of days. Um that's a good place to check out, see what you got going on. Yep. And there's the, you know, in the, in the bio, there's always a link to whatever website or whatever. So, all right, man, yeah. check him out. Remy Warren, his great, great grandfather was a Ute translator. I'll tell you that. No one asked about that. Um, all right. Good night. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison 
is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. 